Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. Yes, he is. Well, that's Chip Chantry. Yes. Hello, Ken. What's going on? How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to do this today. I am too. Um, we're joined, as always, by Kahuna behind the boards. What's going on, gentlemen? Kahuna, how are you? How's your uh, how's the Christmas uh, music coming? It's coming really, really well. I finished up the last two songs this week and then off to distributors. Comes oh, that's out, great. Comes out on the 14th in the key of Christmas. Nice. That's nice. great. Thank you. Um, so I'm really excited to uh, introduce today's guest. Um, I have uh, it's an oddly personal connection, considering uh, this is somebody I've never met. But um, our guest today is a singer songwriter, uh, 25 albums and counting. Um, he's a visual artist. He's an author. He's written, he's written songs for movies, including, uh, maybe my favorite comedy ever. Um, please welcome Dan Byrne to the show. Hey guys, good to be here. Great to have you. Did I, did I get that right with 25 albums? Something like that. I think it was 25 before pandemic so it might be over 30 now because you know yeah wow, what else is there to do it it looks like you had a very busy 2020 i, I was on youtube last night looking through your disc discography and i saw four albums released in 2020 something like that i mean it it may seem like a busy year but you know if you're sitting around where normally you might be touring right. then uh you know, we all had extra time to do different things. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I want to uh, I want to get into that. I, I watched you. Um, I watched a masterclass you did on songwriting on YouTube mm -hmm. and you were talking about covid being um, being frustrating because it gave you something new to write about every day. And um, you didn't have you didn't have the chance to perform. Um, I said that <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was interesting. Chip, Chip and I are both stand up comedians. And um, I thought the same thing when when COVID when COVID came, especially when the when in the early days when the news was changing every single day. Yeah. Um, it was like jokes, jokes were pouring out of me. Like creatively, I, I got, I got a bit of juice that I hadn't had in a long time, but then, but then we had, we had nowhere to put them to, right. which is just, it's okay. so frustrating. Like, cause we, and especially with comedy and I wonder how, how you view this with songwriting and obviously there's humor in your, in your songwriting, but you know, for us, it's like the, the, the joke isn't done until we've done it on stage a few times to see what the feedback is, to see if it actually is something. And for sure. And and what's what's your mark of like, OK, this is a song. This really works. Like, do, do you do you do the same thing where it's like I have to take it out in front of a crowd to see if it gets a reaction or do you feel a little bit more uh, able to gauge that? Like, OK, I feel I feel happy about this song. Um, mostly I think it is, it is the thing where you have to, you know, bounce it off of, of a crowd. A lot of times you, you know, you don't know what you have, 
Sometimes I've, I think I have a, a really serious song. It turns out to be a funny song and vice versa. Um, fortunately, in the last year or so, we've had the technology where I, you know, I did a ton of the live stream shows, probably a couple hundred of them. And that's, it's not quite the same as in front of a live crowd, maybe when you have a new song, but you, you, you definitely get the sense of, of response. And, you know, with the crawl, with the, with the comment thing, uh, I just did a couple months out on the road. And actually at first it was a little disconcerting not to have the crawl. So I don't know what these people are thinking. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, it was, it was an adjustment, but it's, in a lot of ways, it's it's allowed for for uh, new, just new ways of 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 experiencing what uh, what performing can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you just touched on something that that I think is interesting. Um, you were saying that you have something that you think is serious, and and people are laughing, and and you're getting a comedic reaction out of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I find that happens a lot uh, in stand-up where um, I'll be getting laughs along the setup. And I'm like, that, oh, I didn't – it never even occurred to me that that was – that's not even – I wasn't even going for a laugh there. Does yeah. that does that frustrate you when that happens? Like, no, you're – like, you're not getting what I'm trying to say or do you just ex- – Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, I feel like any reaction is great, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I like it when people yell stuff for the most part, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather just, just have a sense that there's life out there. And if, uh, if I don't know that something's funny or didn't think that something was funny and they do, uh, I tend to just really go with it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you keep it in. Oh, well, or it's like, I'll, you know, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to fight the fact that they that they think it's funny. It's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, can, can, actually, can no, I jump in? Yeah. It, it, going back to the 25 plus albums, you're obviously very prolific. Uh, what do you think? You know, as comedians, it's like we're always looking to write the next joke, write your next hour, write a script, write a screenplay, whatever. Um, what do you think? do you just have that drive to do it? Do, do you feel like it comes easy to you or is it just something that, uh, that do you wake up every morning and really push to do it? Or, or does it just sort of, is it just part of what you do? It's just part of what I do. Um, I think, you know, when I, when I do these songwriting workshops, sometimes, uh, I talk about exercising your songwriting muscles, mm-hmm. you know, which is just writing muscles. The same thing. If I, I'm sure if you're a comic, you know, if, if you get, if you kind of get used to to looking for the twist, to looking for the the slightly odd way of of seeing things, um, then you just start doing that naturally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I I firmly believe that we all have it. It's just some of us uh, continue to hone those muscles, and some people think it's silly and. <laughs> And leave it behind. You know, when we're little kids, we all write songs. We don't maybe think of it as 
I'm writing a song, but we do. We 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 wed uh, thoughts and ideas and little melodies. We just do that. That's our species. You know, we're like birds. We, we sing. We sing our thoughts and our ideas. And when we talk robotically, it's it's funny. It's comedic because that's not the way we naturally speak. But we don't think about, the you know, the fact that we're. No, 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 no. That's how we do all day long. We're singing yeah. all day long. Um, you know, I think the for for those of us who actually like take it seriously, the the big the big difference is is when we start a song, we finish them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's that that's the difference between the the kids and the adults. You right, know, right. You, know, you can't say men and the boys anymore, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like. Uh, uh, you, you start a thing and you make it a priority to finish it, even if you have to be a little bit antisocial to do it. Mm-hmm. And it used to be you'd have to pull off, uh, and maybe you guys experienced this too. You'd have to pull off the road and find a payphone and uh, uh, you know record a message on your own answering machine that you can get later. Now we have the advantage of, of the recording things in, in all our phones. It's easy now. Yeah. That's really interesting to think about that. Cause you have that. Cause like with us, we can always, I, cause I've definitely pulled off the side of the road and written something down, but you can, you know, sure. we could just very easily write a joke down, but you, right. have, if you lose that, that melody, melody that's gotta yeah. be, uh, yeah. And they're so fleeting. They come in and it feels like, Oh, I'll never forget that. That's so obvious. And then you hear a little commercial jingle and the thing's gone. So yeah, you have to, you have to capture him. You know, I suppose Mozart, he'd probably write the notes out, you know, but yeah. I mean, most of us don't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's happened to me so many times. Uh, a thought will just, uh, a joke will appear in my head, like out of nowhere. And, and then I'm sometimes just being lazy. I'm, I, I think, oh, that, that that's, that's so great. There's zero chance I'm going to forget it. And then it's literally five minutes later. It's just gone. Yeah, it's like Never. when you wake up from a dream and you think, oh, well, I'll remember this forever. It was so clear. And then like 10 minutes, you're just grasping at it. it it's it's pretty similar to that. I'd have a Grammy by now if, if from all this melodies and ideas that I've forgotten. <laughs> Jesus. That's a new that's a new category. Uh, forgotten. Forgotten. <laughs> and the Grammy Award for forgotten melody goes to. <laughs> you just have to describe what you think it may have been. Um, but your your songs are um, your you've got a very sharp sense of humor and and most of your songs the the humor the humor shines through so you you really like you probably could have gone off and and been a comedian if if you didn't have the musical ability like that's chip and i talk about that all the time that if we had musical talent we would have just been musicians but we, we didn't get any of that so we tell jokes well i i mean i i respect comedians so much the, the the fact that you guys go up there with nothing you know we we've got a guitar or, or a piano to mm-hmm. hide behind and if you know if no one's laughing you just play um i mean i've i've always loved the people who could put the two things together um I grew up listening to Tom Lehrer, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, <clears throat> don't get much better than that. Uh, people like Steve Goodman had a lot of humor. Uh, 
that they brought to the stage, you know, Arlo Guthrie, mm-hmm. um, early Dylan was real funny. And then I think he, he, when everybody told him he was a genius, he was like, well, I'm just going to be a genius. I'm not going to be <laughs> uh, silly anymore, but, um, you know, and then just the, the comedians. I mean, I used to listen to, to Lenny Bruce records and just wear them out just as though they as though they were music, you know, Mitch Hedberg, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I never really separated the two all that much. It's like, and I used to go to the comedy clubs a lot. And in, in my early days in Chicago, I was playing at a place called the Earl of Old Town and right across the street was second city, you know, and we'd have Robin Williams coming in and just hanging around or, and there was a place called Zany's a block down Mm -hmm. here, the comics. Um, so that was all a great education. Um, so I I, I think to, to a certain extent, because it, it's, you know, when you it's it's all show business it's all vaudeville it's all controlling a crowd in one way or another and i think that because like i definitely got that i you know i did the exact opposite i was always a big music fan and then saw you know the way musicians would you know bring a crowd up bring a crowd down i saw my um yeah i was a big fan of the band soul coughing in the in the 90s and mike doty singer songwriter and like i saw him right before i started doing stand-up and he was just it was just him and a guitar and he would tell funny stories between his songs and it was like, Oh, this is yeah. something you can do. And it just, yeah. yeah so I, I, yeah, there's not, there's all some sort of, it, it's all show business in somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, learning how to the way be up there and, and build and build and build, uh, you know, a story um, and just ride the, the laughs, like they're surfing, you know, that's always seemed really exciting and something to bring to, to songs for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mentioned at the, at the top of the show that, um, I had a personal connection to you and I, I discussed this with you off air, but I actually discovered you through, through my dad, uh, Eric Krantz. He was, he was your biggest fan. And um, it's funny, he I grew up with him listening to a lot of the music that you just mentioned, like Tom Lehrer. He he absolutely loved. And um, I'm going to say this. It's going to it might come across like a backhanded compliment. So I, I hope that I hope that it doesn't. But in, in his later years, my dad's taste in music got progressively more and more terrible. So when he when he discovered you, it was like I, the first song he played me of yours, I remember, uh, was Tiger Woods. And uh, he I don't know how he discovered you, um, but when he discovered you and he played me that I was like, oh, this is so great. But then it was it was doubly great because everything else he'd been playing for me for for the last few years was so not you know anything i would like that you were that you were like this huge breath of fresh air not just for me but for my brother and sister too because my dad would torture us with music um when he found somebody he liked he would he would play them obsessively he would he'd pull you up uh, uh you know youtube performances he would recite the lyrics so when when he discovered you, we were all like, oh, thank God, this is this is somebody we can actually get behind. And um, it's even better by by comparison of um, 
like he he was getting into Mongolian throat music there at the end. Oh, and I don't. Yeah, it was so it was bad. And then he would like he would um he would ask, "Hey, if I played you this, and if it wasn't you, I would say yes." So that way I wouldn't have to listen to whatever it was. But then if he asked if he asked to play one of your songs, I I always listened. Do you think his taste was actually getting worse or were you just growing up and getting a little cooler and and so <laughs> by comparison you you know you know it's funny we would tell him no you know what I shouldn't say that some of it was getting worse but then you actually by working backwards from you 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 made his taste a little cooler because my brother and I used to say to him like hey dad you should check out Bruce Springsteen and he hate he he wasn't into rock music, and he would oh I can't you can't he would call them mumbles. He was like you you can't understand a word mumbles says. We'd be like Dad, you you should listen to some early Bob Dylan. You probably haven't listened to it since the sixties. No, and I tried playing him Tom Waits once, and he was like, what's with that voice? But then he discovered you, and then these were all people that you gave interviews about and sang songs about. And then all of a sudden, my dad's like, hey, you should really listen to Bruce Springsteen. I'm like, yeah, dad, I know that's <laughs> that's what we've been telling you since I was 15. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, it sounds like he had really good taste. To me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love in that Tiger Woods song. Uh, it's probably the best song ever written about going down on Madonna. And that, uh, that includes by um, Madonna's songs about going down on Madonna. <laughs> and, um, but I think what's so, what's so funny about it is you're actually so like, there's something kind of profound there where you're talk where you're singing about, you had a friend and his only wit, his only dream was to go down on Madonna. And then when he's 34, he gets to go down on Madonna and then um, his life and then he just he's like depressed for the rest of his life because he realizes that he peaked at 34. Yeah. And it's so Too funny. Cool. Yeah, it's so funny. But there's something so true about that. Yeah, well, I I think that's the that's a good line to ride, you know, to uh if if stuff, well, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's okay if stuff's just funny, but um, a lot of times you can't keep the truth out of stuff. You know, <laughs> right. it's like if you, it's like you, we're we're meaning machines. You know, our our we we find meaning, we create meaning uh, in spite of ourselves. Sometimes, almost, mm -hmm. you just the thing is to keep the ideas going and keep the pen moving and. And sometimes the rest takes care of itself. Um, who were, I mean, so Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan were obvious influences. Who else? Who would do? Oh, I mean, you know, how long, how long <laughs> you got everybody still, every time I turn on the radio, I'm, I'm, uh, I find something to steal. In <laughs> <laughs> um, that particular song um i happened to be <clears throat> god it was a long time ago now but uh i was uh d gonna open a show for um 
Werewolves of London guys. Werewolves of oh, London Warren guys. Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon. I was going to open for Warren Zevon. And uh, I was sitting before sound check, and Warren Zevon's road manager came in, and he had just been in, in a taxi. And he sat down. He said, Boy, that was a crazy ride. I said, Well, what happened? He says, The uh, taxi driver said he, he, his goal in life was to go down a Madonna. okay and i just sort of stored that one away and later that night i was uh staying on someone's couch and he happened to have a sports illustrated next to the on the table there and uh it was about it was all about tiger woods and he it was before tiger really uh it was before he'd even won his first masters but he was kind of you know the up-and-coming guy and uh, so they just kind of those two notions kind of wetted. Also, I was going to do a bunch of shows uh, opening for Ani DeFranco coming mm-hmm. up. And I needed something to, to sort of start with. And my friends were like, hey, uh, <clears throat> you're going to open for Ani, huh? I said, yeah. And they're like, are you sure that's a good idea? So, well, yeah, it's going to be <laughs> fine. I said, here's what all you the only way you can possibly survive is you just go out there and 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 take your dick out and just cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> your balls out and cut them off or something like that. I said, like, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Because um, you can only do so that once. What's that? You can only do that once. It's not a yeah. for a string of shows. Yeah. That's a yeah, total. Yeah. Pete P- 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 Balls can do it a couple yeah. times. You know, Pete Towns can keep smashing those, those guitars. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all those things kind of coalesced in that one. And that's that's the best way I can sort of describe how something like that happens. You just have these these notions and then somehow uh, string them together once once you start strumming the guitar, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Ani DeFranco produced your second album. That's right. Yeah, it's called Fifty Eight, mm-hmm. and that that was the one with that. That's the one with Tiger Woods. Yeah, that's the. It, it, or I'm asking, I guess. <laughs> I'm not yeah, dead. yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah that that was that was when my dad first started. Um, and then I remember like he went to see Ani DeFranco in concert, and I I guess he anybody that you talked about or sang about, he he gravitated. I remember him trying to get me to see Ani DeFranco with him. And uh, that that was a hard pass. I was like, maybe maybe ask my sister. <laughs> well, by the way, speaking of Tiger Woods, uh, I, I heard an interview with you, and it was it was really funny. You the, the interviewer asked you about your influences, just like we did. And I think the first guy you said was, which I thought was so interesting. You ju- you said John McEnroe was. <laughs> Which is great, which is like hilarious. And like I, uh, I played tennis in high school and college. I, w- I wasn't very good, but uh, I was always a fan. And now obviously, is it just the bombastic, you know, just his his stage, uh, his court presence or his stage presence? What what drew you to to Macaron? And I've always been a big fan too. Yeah, well, all of that, you know. Um, it's actually interesting with that guy because he's had two two connected but really different careers you know the the first one he was the the brash kind of bully kid you know that sort of invited people to hate him and he seemed to thrive on it and he didn't like anybody else 
this day, there's nobody else that's ever played the game really remotely like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then when that was all over, he's become the ultra intelligent, incisive, you know, greatest tennis broadcaster we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a career and it's been quite a, a evolution, I think, but probably what I was responding to at that at that time was was just the the energy and the sort of doing your own thing your own way and not <clears throat> caring or being held back by what other people might want you to do. Mm-hmm. That's great. And yeah. um... uh, you know, and sort of coming into the the because. You know, when I was starting out, um, most of my opportunities were kind of under the umbrella of the folk world, whether it was who I was opening for or the festivals or that kind of thing. And that's all great. And I relate to a lot of it. But a lot of it, I I think I didn't relate to. And it it felt a little uh, stayed and a little... uh, you know, like there were there were some some strings that mm. some some rules that that everybody seemed to expect you to uh, to follow, and I, I kind of bristled at a lot of that. So uh, some sometimes to my detriment, but you know, what are you going to do? Right, but that's what sets you apart too. But, I mean, it's your it's your your own your own person, your own thing. I suppose so. Um, do I don't know if you saw, um, there's this documentary, dude, do you know the band Sparks? I don't. Oh, there's there, on Netflix. There's this really amazing documentary on this band called Spark. I'd never heard of them either, but they've, they've been around since the seventies and uh, also 20 something albums. And it's, it's two brothers. But um, one thing uh, about them is um, their songs are very funny and and their their sense of humor comes through in their songs. And then one of the brothers was saying he actually thought that hurt their career a little bit because um, especially in, in rock music, like people take themselves so seriously that having funny songs, people were kind of overlooking how good the the music was, you know, how good musicians they were, how good the production was. And he said that um, he thought that, ha- like I said, he, he thought that having that sense of humor in all the songs may have may have hurt them. And then I was watching that and I was thinking the same thing about folk music that, uh-huh. that you probably did um, ruffle a few feathers. Well, I don't think I ruffled feathers by necessarily being funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, let's say, injudicious. Is that a word? <laughs> with uh, with word choices and, and, and stuff like that. Um, can I is can I say anything on here? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, anything you want. Um, you know, right when I sort of was getting some breaks in, in the festivals and stuff like that. Um, I think I was also at my most, uh, sort of what I would consider like my Lenny Bruce, uh, if phase is a word 
mm-hmm. is the right word. Uh, you know, I, one of the songs I was singing was was uh, called No Missing Link that was also on 50 Eggs, where the, the chorus is aliens came and fucked the monkey. They fucked the monkey. <laughs> Which I still think is as good an explanation as anything else I've heard for how humans came to be and how mm-hmm. strange we are on this planet. Um, but it was a catchy <laughs> chorus and the little kids were singing it and uh, so stuff like that. Stuff like that, I think, uh, 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 did rub some people the wrong way. Oh my god, I love That's it. funny. <laughs> um, I don't think I heard that song off of the kids album you did. Oh um, uh, no, it's not on the kids album. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know why it's not. I I I, I uh, maybe somebody, yeah. <laughs> and now and now you you kind of pivoted cuz I think you have, you have two kids albums is that what it is? Or uh three now. The third, well there's two feet tall, three feet tall and we just did four feet tall in which my daughter basically who's now 12 basically takes over and I'm, I'm now simply featured. That's great. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, what was that? Yeah. Was that a big shift in what you do and your, the way you approach songwriting to, to switch to kid songs or, or no, was it, is it the same basic approach? Yeah, it was a pretty natural thing. I mean, you know, when she was a few months old, even, or, or barely even that, you know, we'd go for little walks and strolls and whatever. And it always seemed to come back with a song or two that I was singing to her on the way. And then I'd record them. And then eventually that became two feet tall. And then the same thing happened, you know? Um, and I, I think that's kind of my approach. I don't, um, like I, I did a whole baseball record, actually a couple mm-hmm. of them now. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I wasn't, I didn't sit down one day and say, I'm going to write a bunch of baseball songs for record. They just, I just, along the way happened to have a bunch of songs that pertained to baseball. I mean, I, I prefer it that way. Cause then they feel like they're, they're real songs in a way they're more mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. than if it's like, now I'm going to write 10 baseball songs this week. Are you, st- um, are you still that, a big baseball yeah. fan? Oh Yeah. And I love write, writing about it. Um, I've been, in the last couple of years, uh, I've been writing a lot of songs for a podcast called The Tony Kornheiser Show. You oh, probably, okay. You might know that guy mm-hmm. from PEI. He has his own uh, podcast about three times a week and they play original music. So I, I write a lot of songs that sort of pertain to the show and the stuff they're talking about. So in that way, uh, and and really also for movies and TV and I wrote a couple seasons of songs for the Stinky and Dirty Show. It's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, your five year old might be might be ripe for the Stinky and Dirty Show. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll show it. So to I you. do I do like writing for projects and for scripts and and all that stuff. Um, in fact, that might be that's uh, one of my favorite things to do. If somebody says, "Hey, write write songs for this project or that." project that's uh i mean get up drink your coffee and and write stinky and dirty songs that's great <laughs> He's, do, do you think that's I, like i've always I, i've always thought i did well when i if i have to like write for somebody else if i'm you know if i get hired to do something because i feel yeah. like i can just get myself out of the way I, I don't have anything to do with it i can it's not me singing it it's the character or it's the or it's whoever is going to be doing these jokes so is, i mean is that, is that part of it 
that you hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's really freeing. Um, you know, you don't have to dig through your miserable psyche. Right. To, to <laughs> yeah. get these songs. It's like, yeah, exactly. Like you say, you, you get out of the way. I mean, you're there too. It's all filtered through you, but, uh, Oh, it's, it's great when, when there's a project. It's, it's almost like acting in a way. It's like, almost, it yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you, you wrote, you wrote a good chunk of the songs for walk hard, the Dewey Cox story, which, yeah. um, is easily one of my favorite comedies of all time. It, it, it is one of the most rewatchable movies. I still watch it. I still pick up on jokes that I never caught before. And I still laugh really hard every time watching it. Um, and uh, I I saw in this interview that you said that you wrote something like 200 songs for the movie. That sounds about right. Um, I basically for two years uh, set everything else aside, which wasn't too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just sort of filtered as Dewey Cox. Um, some sometimes there was stuff you know, just obviously writing the script song here, this title about this. Um, and some of it was just stuff that would come to me and then I would sort of filter it as Dewey, you know. Um, and then about halfway through that process, uh, I hooked up with Mike Viola, who had been doing the same thing on his own. Mm -hmm. And then we became this like two headed songwriting Dewey <laughs> Cox team. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Cause that the sort of job on that, the task was to write great songs, which would have some twist somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, some wink. Um, but, uh, the, I, you know, really we were trying to write as good a song as we could in the genre and, and with some, some nod to the fact that this was a, a, a comedic enterprise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you, you talk about having to write them in different genres and it really is where every song it's, they, 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 sh chart his career from from the 60s until the 2000s so you see him chasing every trend it's not like you had to write all these songs in one style it's like you needed folk songs you needed rock songs you needed a country song you needed a disco song you needed yeah yeah i mean you know you couldn't ask as a songwriter you couldn't ask for a better gig than that you just couldn't and working with the people, you know, sometimes Mike and I would go in the morning and meet with uh, Judd Apatow and mm -hmm. John C. Riley and Jake Kasdan. And we would have a yellow legal pad and they would just start riffing song titles. And we would write down every song title. And then after an hour, we would go back to where we were staying and we would write every song. <laughs> on that list and we would record them and we would bring them in and the next day we would do it again um you know i'd the, kill he, to listen to those demos those would probably be amazing it's like like it's like boot camp in the best way for yeah. collaboration and and the whole thing uh i can't possibly 
say enough about how great that experience was. It was like, and it was, it was like all hands on deck mm-hmm. and everybody kind of put their own ego inside. It felt like a bunch of scientists working on the atomic bomb together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, the only question I had for you for, in regards to the songwriting process on, on uh, walk hard because you worked with Mike Viola. Did you guys kind of, I know you said you worked together, but did you divvy up songs? Like, did you lean more into the acoustic side of things and he may be more rock and pop or was it still just a bigger collaborative effort? Um, well, some of the stuff he had already done before we even met and some of the stuff I had done before we even met, but the time we were sort of a team, um, at, at that point, I think we were just in the room together and like sometimes line by line, you know, and, and it wasn't, so much this is your kind of song this is my kind of song we were just going for it i i was watching i was re-watching the movie uh earlier and um i read uh i, I think i read on your wikipedia that that someone once asked uh, about um the similarities between you and bob dylan and then you you remarked something like um yeah i guess bob dylan was the dan burn of the 60s and uh-huh. then <laughs> I'm watching the movie today and that exact scene is in Dewey Cox where they ask Dewey about the similarities between him and Bob Dylan. And he's asking, how come no one's ever asking Bob Dylan why he sounds so much like Dewey Cox? Uh-huh. And then I was wondering if that was like just a happy coincidence or is that is that a story you relayed to uh, Judd that that made it into the film? Well, I don't know. Jake wrote it and Jake and I had hung out a a lot for Mm -hmm. quite a few years. Uh, So so who knows? He he never gave me a a royalty percentage for that line, but (laughs) but you never know. Was it um, were you able to get to like you went to the premiere and saw it on the big screen and saw people's reaction? How cool was that? Oh, it was it was. The whole thing was great. You know, the whole thing was great. Um, I can't, uh, a lot of it felt a little unreal, you know, Mm -hmm. after the premiere, you're hanging out and and there's Will Ferrell looking kind of uncomfortable, (laughs) just (laughs) hanging out. And, uh, 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 the guy who was, uh, uh, the guy who had just been in super bad, Oh, Jonah uh, Hill. Jonah Hill. Michael. He was there too, but the other guy, Love, Love. Oh, McLovin. Oh, McLovin. Yeah. yeah, McLovin was there. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. Just like, oh, well, this is this is who I hang out with now. <laughs> <laughs> it is the cast in that movie is unreal. It's it's like almost it's literally almost every giant comedy star of of the early 2000s yeah they cast a pretty wide net you know um it was it was a it was a really great experience um i was excited just just a few weeks ago i hadn't heard from judd for quite a few years and then uh he called me out of the blue and said do you want to co-write a a song for the end of my next movie so uh i worked on that and then uh i think adam levine's gonna gonna sing the, oh, the wow. song at the 
at the end of the movie. It's a, uh, I think it's, I think the movie's called the bubble. It should be out, um, uh, spring of 22. Nice. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Is it, is it weird seeing other people sing your songs? Is it weird? It's did, great. Did ever, yeah. It, it's you know, greatest. I mean, yeah, it's, um, cause you know, I've heard me sing my songs a lot <laughs> and hearing somebody else, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's weird, but it's really, really great. Yeah, I, I remember I used to think like when I first started out that um, I would never give I would never want to give my jokes to anybody. I would never want to write for anyone else. I always oh. felt initially I always felt like, no, these are personal to me. They're in my voice. But then as people started asking me to, to write for them here and there. Um, I, I couldn't believe how much I loved it. And, and it's like we said earlier, it's like, oh, I can take myself completely out of this mm-hmm. and, and write in someone else. I can write in a female voice. And yeah. Um, yeah. And then you like you see those jokes performed on TV somewhere or something. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It's like you said. Yeah. I, it's, I like, know- it's like you're like pulling the strings of a marionette. Like it's a great feeling. Yeah. Whenever I've seen that, it's just that's plus it also. You know, it, it also gives you focus, too. It just like if somebody told me they're like, write a joke right now, you have 10 minutes to write a joke. It's like I, I'd be dead in the water. Like, what do I write a joke about? But if somebody was like, you have 10 minutes, write 15 jokes about pizza. Yeah. I'm like, I'm focused. So it's like, oh, I can write 15 jokes about pizza in 10 minutes. That's easy right. because I have that focus. And it's like writing in somebody else's voice or for a, like, you know, if you have a song title, it's not to take anything away from it, but it's also like, it's like kind of just coloring in the lines too. It's like you have a, there's a goal and it, it, it there's a focus that I wish I had when I just sat down with an empty notebook and like, all right, time to write some new jokes. It's like, I try to do that sometimes. Like I'll have people either give me topics or just something to, to focus myself. And then it just seems to write itself a lot of times. Is it ever, uh, irksome or bothersome in some way when, when somebody does your, your material and it and you don't feel like they're you know hitting the hitting the cadences right or something oh yeah i so i i worked on a the first tv show i worked on and it wasn't like a super popular one or anything but it was a it was a clip show basically so there was two hosts and they would do it was like reality show talk show clips and you know that you know they'd show the clip and do the jokes and i was so excited it was my first writing job and i wrote all these jokes and i thought they were great and then you go to the studio and me and the other writers, we literally started calling it, uh, let's go to where the jokes go to die. Because, like, <laughs> we write the joke. And like, maybe they weren't the best jokes in the world, but like they would just be delivered terribly. And then I think uh, having a steady paycheck to write jokes made that feel a lot better. Right. I was like, yeah. OK, I'm, I'm paying rent this month, so. I, I'm just, you, you know, sometimes it's like when I'm on those jobs, it's like, I'm sort of more of a, as much as I want to take responsibility for, it, I'm more of a cog in the machine and I'm perfectly happy being the cog in the machine. Like, all right, you need 50 jokes about this. I can do that. And here are your 50 jokes and the day is over and I can move on yeah. till tomorrow. And yeah. I, I like that feel, you know, yeah. the onus isn't all on me. Yeah. Now, don't have to- what's that? You don't have to memorize them or anything. No, 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 no exactly. Just here you go. Yeah, now, I, I had a, that. G- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead Ken. I, I had um, 
I, I wrote for an award show and and the host like it was it was it was a uh, it was a joke about January 6th. So I already knew it was going to be a tough joke to get on the air, but they kept it in. But then um, it was delivered so poorly. It was delivered almost like they were cringing before they got to the punchline. Like uh. they knew that it was going to be tough and it just it just died such a terrible death. I went on I went on the Twitter and I saw people tweeting about how bad uh, the host had done with the joke. And that that's the only time I ever felt every other time. It's just been so cool to see somebody do it. If you do a joke and it kills. Do you feel like you I mean, if you if you write a joke and and for somebody else and it mm -hmm. kills. Uh, do you feel like you can still have that joke for yourself? No, I, I, if I, if I, yeah, if I give it to somebody, it's theirs. Yeah. Especially if they pay your rent with the poop joke. <laughs> yeah. If, right. Especially if they pay you for it. It's, you know, that's, that's their joke. I yeah. guess that's right. I guess with songs, it's a little different. Right. I guess. Right. Yeah. Cause you own that. You can still yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no real, um, there's no cover versions of jokes. It's just right. it's just a stolen jokes, joke. Yeah, jokes are very much the illusion has to be there. I guess that it's coming out of their head. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like it's the first time you're thinking of it. And, yeah. and speaking of do, doing somebody else's jokes or, or or whatever, I you know a big. I don't want to say it's a big issue, but I mean, I guess it is. But like a, a big comedy crime is stealing somebody else's joke, doing somebody else's material, which yeah. I, I don't think happens very much anymore. I think people are pretty much called out on it. Uh, but the, the the difficulty we have writing sometimes is, you know, I always have like it's the big two questions. You always I think of a joke and I'll like text a few of my friends, comedy friends. And the big two questions are, do you think this is funny? Yeah. And have you heard this before? Like right. it's like, oh, I, I wrote a really funny joke about X, Y and Z. But it's like, oh, Ken Krantz had a joke and I heard that six months ago and I forgot about it. You know, so yeah. you always want to keep so when it comes to music, when it comes to songs, especially like melodies and, and that type of thing. Do you worry about that a lot? Like, do you worry about like, oh, this sounds too much like this song or is that, is that something that musicians focus on a lot? Or I mean, obviously, you're making its own thing. You're writing your own lyrics to it. But like whether it's chord progressions or mm. just a melody, I don't know how how focused you're on that. I think some some songwriters really are. Um, I remember hearing a story about when Paul McCartney had had the, the melody for yesterday and he didn't even have the lyrics yet. He still had the placeholder of scrambled eggs, right. scrambled eggs. Da, 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 da. Um, but I guess for several months, every time he ran into somebody, he would ask them if they had heard this before, you know, or if this was in fact an original melody. Um, I mean, with certain kinds of songs sort of in the folk music bag, like a talk and blues song, obviously mm -hmm. there's a thousand so songs that sound exactly like it and you're not worried about it because right. it's, it's an, you know, this one is the talk and I just burn myself with the coffee blues. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, but you know, other kinds of songs, I guess you're, I think the thing Viola always talks about writing songs sideways, which is the concept of, even if you're ripping off a song, you'll do, you'll shift it around or you'll change these 
notes, you know, so that it becomes an original thing. I, you know, I guess, yeah, you can, you can get too close, but I don't worry about it really. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to mangle, even if I tried <laughs> to, <laughs> to do something exactly like something else, I would, I would mangle it enough that it, that it wouldn't be that right, thing it, anymore. It would still come out like you. For better or worse. <laughs> You have um you have a great song. I remember my dad used to play me this song about how um Bob Bob Dylan talked about how he went to visit Woody Guthrie in the hospital when when he was old and near the end of his life and so you yeah. you wanted to do that with Springsteen but Springsteen <laughs> wasn't in the hospital so you broke into his house at night and <laughs> right. like right. stuck a thermometer down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you have you ever uh, have you ever met Bruce or, or worked with him or did you like do you know like when you write these songs do you ever know if they get to the to the subject of the song that where they hear them and you get occasionally, feedback occasionally oh I I have met Bruce a few times one time one time I ran into him and he said I heard he was talking about that song he said I heard you wrote a song about me <laughs> and. You know, I, I was sort of like, if I had been on my game, I would have immediately called for a guitar and played him the song. You know? And, you know, I was kind of a dipshit and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if he actually heard the song. I, he heard about it. That's, you know, yeah. Um, but that, you know, that was, that was a fun one. Cause, uh, early on I was getting compared to all these guys. And, and so I think, you know, you can either try to slough it off and pretend it's not happening or try to turn it on its head a little bit. Right. And, and, and have fun with it and, and sort of deflect it that way. So, uh, yeah, I broke into his house and tried to, tried to, uh, Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't laying down for it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, have you ever met Tiger Woods? I saw there's like a follow-up song, Dear Tiger Woods. Yeah, there's, there's a follow-up song. Uh, I never met Tiger Woods. Most of these people I've never met that I write about. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, somebody told me that I, I have a song about Monica Sellish some years back. Somebody told me that that she heard this song, but again, I have no way really of yeah. of, of verifying. <laughs> you were you were a tennis instructor at one point, right? That's right. Why oh, you're such a That's big right. tennis fan? Do you, do you still play? I do. Yeah, I just actually uh, I wrote a play that um, maybe when Springsteen on Broadway is, is ready to give up a theater, maybe we'll move in. I wrote a, a play about, uh, about the transition from a one-hand to a two-handed backhand. And the really? Two characters, the characters are the right hand and the left hand, and they're kind of arguing. It's kind of uh, Abbott and Costello meets Waiting for Godot, and there's all these songs in it where they actually come together and, 
and find harmony and then they they bicker some more oh that's um, amazing i like that that's 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 one of the things i'm excited about you know uh uh i've always I've always loved the the theater and the idea of of sort of taking this to a to a different format. It seems like people are doing that a lot, so it does seem possible. My friend uh, Stu, who who did this that play Passing Strange a few years ago, it started at the Public Theater and then it moved to Broadway, and Spike Lee uh, made the film of it. So it you know, it, it makes it feel like, well, Hey, this is possible. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I, you should be playing a side stage at the U S open. Like just, that's what I, I, th- I think that's, I think that's the move right there. I, I, I like it. You have all the fans there. That's, yeah. that's what it should be. Just, yeah. When there, when there's the big match, you know, yeah. in, uh, we'll, Louis Armstrong, you can, Wimbledon. Yeah. We'll do the U S open. Yeah. We'll go down to Australia. We'll go to Paris. I, I mean, I'm joking, but that totally makes sense. You follow the tour around, you put shows on, you put that show on the night, you know, uh, you know, they can watch the games during the day and then come in at night and watch the, uh, watch the play. I think that's your plan right there. I like it. I love it. Yeah. Did, did, have you done that with the, with the baseball songs? Like have you done Cooperstown or stadiums or anything like that? Done Cooperstown a couple of times right there in the, in the museum. Um, but I haven't sort of structured a, a, a play around mm-hmm. those songs, but that it seems like a, a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. How that's gotta be a bit of a surreal feeling to be in Cooperstown. Have you been there, Chip? I've never actually been. No. Oh, it's the coolest. Yeah. I will say I've been to, I, I went to the U S open right before the, like the year before the lockdown. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to go every year from now on. It was like the greatest experience. And, you know, obviously I haven't been back since, but uh, just to be surrounded by, it was like a, it's like a tennis amusement park. Like that's what it was. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Just, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's like a festival. You just go from court to court, you know, Oh, I hear, a, uh, you know, this guy's over here. He's, he's down a set. Let's go there real quick. I saw these two. I think the best set I saw, like, and, you know, I, I saw some sets, you know, in the in, in the main court, you know, and, and I mean, it was just amazing. Some matches there. But the best set I saw was just this. It was these this 16 year old girl from France against this like 17 year old girl from the U.S. on just and there was like 40 of us just sitting there. And it was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen just on this little tiny side, this, you know, side court. It was it was great. Yeah. The first week of a grand slam is, is just nothing better. Cause there, you know, all the courts are going and, uh, the, the crowd is really scattered through all, through all of it. So yeah, you can just run from court to court and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have to, uh, we got to start wrapping up, but, um, where, where can people find you, Dan? Um, I'm still doing these hunkered in the bunker shows. Um, that's a Facebook live thing. Um, I, I don't know. Just check out the website, danburn.com. See what's happening. Yes. Check out, check out his music. Um, thank you so much for coming on and thank you also, uh, just on a personal note. Um, I can't begin to tell you how much happiness you brought into my dad's life. And, um, 
it was cool to see you were you were you were a bit of um you were a bit of a like a bonding experience for uh for him and his kids and his family and uh, i always enjoyed going to see you live and um i hope that uh i hope next time that you're in saratoga i'll uh, i'll keep an eye on your schedule and and i'll get up there the next time you're in saratoga well that sounds great and 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 i'm really glad that that all happened and uh that makes me happy thanks all right thank you so much for coming on uh, i hope you enjoyed it chip anything to promote uh just uh you know follow me at chip chantry uh, yep. every, everywhere and thank you dan so much again for uh, for coming on chip ken i really appreciate it thanks guys yeah thanks a lot all right bye everybody see you next week 